All right. So we are going to shift back to our interviews with candidates for New York City Public Advocate. We've had five candidates on the broadcast in the last few weeks, and we're going to be joined by two more today. And let's bring on the first of those two. It is Assemblymember Ron Kim of Queens. Assemblymember Kim, you're on Max and Murphy on WBAI. Thanks for joining us. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. Good, good. Good to talk to you. Um, so why don't you tell listeners and tell us just a little bit about uh, who you are, your backstory, and uh, the district that you represent in the Assembly. Sure. Uh, my name is Ron Kim. I am an immigrant that came here at the age of seven to Flushing, Queens, New York, son of immigrant, only, only child of immigrant parents that ran a small business all around the city. Um, and when I was a teenager, I saw how hard my parents worked and I witnessed when they filed for bankruptcy and how difficult it was for them um, living uh, as, as an immigrant family, just spending years suffering and, and trying to pay back their debt to the banks and families and and friends, and they left an indelible mark on me as a young person. Um, and after college, I decided to dedicate um, my life to public service, to, to give voice to people like my parents and other immigrants and small business owners that make the best of our city and our country. Um, I've served in this legislature for six years now, just won my fourth term, and I am running for public advocate to fight for people over corporations. Assemblyman, talk about your time in Albany and what you see as your biggest accomplishments there. Yeah, as, as an assembly member, I just, we just literally an hour ago, I uh, was on the floor um, passing the DREAM Act again for the sixth consecutive year. Um, I just spoke on the floor that that was my first uh, piece of action that I did to sign on to the DREAM Act when I got elected. Um, we're going to be making history now for the first time as both chambers will pass it today in any minute now, and the governor will pass it uh, or sign it. Uh, but beyond that, I've, I've sponsored and chaptered a number of bills that protect protected MWBEs, um, small business owners, uh, and particularly the mom and pop store owners that have been unfairly targeted uh, over the past several years. Um, this is something that I feel very proud about, and, and including extending uh, micro-loan and micro-lending opportunities for small businesses that don't have access to conventional capital. Uh, this, you know, Again, our city is as much uh, is, in, is in a much economically better place if we are allowed if we allow small businesses to thrive, but we haven't helped them over the last couple of decades, and that is part of my main platform running for public advocate. So we want to shift into that platform and that campaign and that race in a moment. But I just wanted to um, come back to the issue of the nail salon regulation. Um, that was something that uh, Governor Cuomo took up after the New York Times um, expose of a few years ago. Um, and you you were outspoken on the issue. Can you summarize for folks sort of um, how you capture that episode and, and where that stands now? Yeah, the New York Times did a series on the nail salon and how workers were exploited. And, and Governor Cuomo, he jumped in and created a task force in, in a matter of days to tackle this issue and introduced a bill 
to the assembly, I think in May or June toward the end of the session. I took on the legislation and I worked with not only the workers, but also the small business owners and labor groups to come up with the best possible law. And we actually undid about 70% of the original proposal to make it as fair as possible. The conflict came toward, after we signed the bill that the, even though we agreed to do certain things, he unilaterally, the governor, um, used uh, the state of emergency regulations to go after unfairly the small business owners imposing what he calls the wage bond insurance. This is something that I fought because what it is a predatory type of, uh, of a insurance product where back then, even now, there's no insurance companies actually create this product and overnight he created a a 40 plus million dollar industry for insurance companies where no immigrant small business owners could qualify for to get a wage bond insurance uh, you have to have like a seven minimum 730 credit score five years of credit history if not you have to put uh, up to a fifty thousand dollar collateral to secure the product this is another prime example of how as a state instead of helping mom and pop store owners who make it difficult making ways for chain stores and big corporations to come in um, and it was really a wide awakening experience for me because it was truly a fight for me a david versus goliath fight and my story never really got out um, to the public because when you're fighting a powerful politician only their side of the story comes out, uh, but it was a learning experience, and it only motivated me to work harder to help um, the small business community. So what do you feel the the total effect of that legislation uh, has been, given the actions the governor took after the signing and, and you know the, the wording of the law that you worked on itself? What's been the impact of that? Yeah, if we actually executed and enforced the law and the intent that we gave on the law, it would have been fair for everyone, including protecting all the workers. But by redlining and sidelining all these small business owners, we did some preliminary surveys, you know, a year, a year and a half after, and a number of small business owners had to shut down because they couldn't meet the insurance product requirements or they moved out of the state. Um, this is not what we want to create. And, I, and nail salons, beauty parlors, um, restaurants, these are what makes our neighborhoods you know, truly great in our city. They give character and, and a sense of local ownership um, where you can walk in and you know that when you spend that dollar, I know I know you and I don't get manicures um, or pedicures, but when you spend that money... Speak for um, yourself. Yes, for that, yeah. <laughs> well, I did Not anymore. I used to you don't. Okay. My mom, actually. <laughs> um, but... You know, when you spend that, the point is when you spend that dollar in the neighborhood, we know for a fact that the dollar gets recirculated um, up to 24 times. It's good for our economy. And instead of supporting that, we're actually making it very difficult for money and wealth to get recirculated and redistributed back into our local economy. That's why we need to you know, do a better job at looking at these laws that we're introducing. And we actually did that. And the sad part was we introduced a good piece of bill um, and, and a soundable law, but he bypassed the law by exercising a state of emergency against his entire industry. And there's been a pattern of that. That was the first instance I mean, he's, he's, he does. He has done that with a number of different cases over the years, uh, bypassing the law and using um, unilateral decisions, including, um, you know, going to the next point, giving away three billion dollars with the mayor without any consultation with the legislative body or the city council um, of corporate 
subsidies of taxpayers' money. Right. So that's that's a good segue into, and let's let's come back to Amazon as part of the discussion of uh, of your platform here for Public Advocate. How do you capture, um, you know, why you're running and and what you want to do with this office that you know has certain prescribed powers, but is very much about uh, you know the office holder and how that that person defines the office. Yeah, one of my top things that I'm advocating for on my platform is to end corporate welfare, starting with our giveaway to Amazon. They don't need it. It's the richest man on earth. Second, the trillion-dollar company doesn't need a cent of our taxpayers' money. And one of the powers of this public advocate is to introduce legislation. And I have legislation right now in the legislature, um, the, the ending of end the end of corporate welfare act um, that I will I will plan on continuing to push for as a public advocate. What it would do is create an interstate compact between key states, and even if we can line up the Northeast, uh, which we're already talking to, to have an agreement, a compact agreement, to stop giving away corporate welfare and to stop participating race to the bottom. We, this is one clear way that we can stop, we can end uh, corporate welfare. And, and do you want to um, say a bit more about your platform and, and, you know, sort of your proposals or the way that you would sh- shape or run the office? Sure. Uh, and the second part of my platform uh, is to tackle student debt. Um, this is something that I feel very passionate about. Uh, about one million New Yorkers in New York City are, are suffering a lifetime of student debt. This impacts not only recent grads, but we recently got notices from people going to their 70s and 80s. So struggling with student debt. Um, this is something that we created over decades of, of a failing higher education market system, meaning that we pushed our governments um, or the governments pushed us to privatize higher education instead of giving uh, providing a debt-free and, and free college education, we extended more loans, more interest-bearing loans over the years, purposely putting you know, millions of, of, of people in a lifetime of debt. Uh, this is the second highest category of debt in the country now, by, bypassing consumer and credit card debt. And every economist, when you speak to them, is, is saying that this is going to be a crisis, if a worse crisis than 10 years ago, and no person is taking it, no elected official or person running for public advocate is taking it as serious uh, as I am. Uh, This is not a compassionate play. This is an economic um, benefit to our our city and our our country. If we find the mechanisms and implement the tools to liberate uh, the millions of people with student debt, that will benefit our economy locally. These are people that are behind in in family formations, creating small businesses, buying homes, buying cars. All that money can come back to that that come back to our local economies and what i'm proposing is three things Uh, one we can push and lobby the federal government to issue a one-time cancellation of student debt federal government has over 95 percent of this debt they can do it they just president trump just gave 1.7 to 2 trillion dollars to to corporations in his budget last couple of years we can certainly live we can certainly cancel this debt that's already fully funded for if they don't want to do that i will use the public advocate office for the federal government to transfer that debt um, to the localities, to the city and the state, where we're in a better position to write down and monetize on that debt. 
Now, finally, if they don't want to do that, I, I am proposing as a public advocate to exercise the power of eminent domain to treat debt as property and use local authority to go in and buy and cancel debt. So you think that you could, looking at option three, you could identify a debt and treat it as a real asset and take it over and then and then forgive it. Would would that be a power that would be confined only to student debt, or would that be something you could do with mortgages, credit card debt, the ten bucks Ben owes me from last week? Uh, where where would that power sort of stop? Sure. I'm 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 focused on student debt first because there are different ways to leverage that because of the, because of how structure and how the federal government holds on to it. But the concept of using eminent domain was started with Professor Robert Hockett at Cornell 10 years ago when we're dealing with the underwater mortgages after the crisis. So he actually went around and put this to use on 50 different cities, and a couple of cities actually adopted it until they got sued by Wells Fargo's in the world. And these are small cities, so they were bullied around until they, you know, in, in, in courtrooms, and at the end, they lost these cases, but they were, they were using the power of the big banks is saying, if you exercise in your domain, we're not going to buy your bonds or do business with you as a city. They're not going to do that with New York City. So we have the leverage here. And if we push this forward, we can we can start with student debt, but we can also look at other forms of debt. For example, the eight uh, yellow cab drivers who committed suicide last year, their medallions went from $1.2 million to $150,000 overnight. You know, we're putting some solutions and, and safeguards around them. But what they're really suffering right now is from the loans and the debt they can't pay from, that they can't, they can't pay for. This city, it's, it's not a lot of money. We can actually go in and help them write down this debt. Now, this is not a novel idea. We've done this as a country um, a couple of times throughout history. FDR. The, the, the New Deal. You know, when we when he bailed out the corporations, he also actually bailed out people on their underwater mortgages. President Obama bailed out the banks. He was supposed to get to the people. He never got there. Um, as a city, I want. I, that's why we are struggling as a country right now with 18 straight months of increased household debt, and it's it's ballooning out of control. So this is something that I'm going to take serious as a public advocate. So I think uh, certainly that proposal is worth more examination and, and perhaps bring in. You you know, some some legal experts and looking back at some of the history you referenced to see, um, you know, what would be applicable to to New York City and the public advocate's office. But, uh, you know, let's let's put that aside for a minute to discuss a few other things. Um, that is obviously something that would take up a lot of the public advocates, fairly limited resources. You know, the office has a budget of maybe three million dollars. Uh, you use that for somewhere around, you know, 20 or so staff members. Is that just about all that you would do? Is there, are there other things that are sort of traditionally done by public advocates that we've had in the past that you would also do? Would you uh, fulfill the role that is actually part of the charter about being, you know, the ombudsperson, taking in complaints from, you know, New Yorkers, overseeing the functioning of city agencies? Um, or would you really look to be redefining the role here to really just focus on the, the couple of things you mentioned? I'm, I'm running to transform this office. I mean, we all know that 
This this position has been used for political reasons for members to um, appoint people that are politically connected so they can position themselves to run for higher office. You know, these liaison roles were often ways to elevate the political status of communities. Like, I, I'm not interested in doing any of that. Like, I want to give some real teeth and purpose behind being a public advocate. The, the, by definition, the position is to protect the public, the people. And, and why is it that every single day, uh, the bigger the corporation, the more incentive they have to cancel and write down their debt every single day, and they actually get a tax write-off to do that? Why can't people do that? This is the number one issue that people are struggling with. And while doing that, we're giving away, we're actually extracting and giving away up to one to three billion dollars in the city of corporate subsidies every single year. Year, and as a state, we give up to eight billion dollars of corporate welfare money to multinational companies. Um, I'm going to make that as a priority. Once we stop that, we can redirect that money to help people directly. So, Assemblyman, talk to us. We have a few minutes left. Uh, the dynamics of this race, it's a very crowded field. You, as you mentioned, just won your fourth election to the Assembly uh, seat that you hold. But this is a different um, this is a different kettle of fish. How are you hoping to win this race? How does a guy like you break through? Well, I have a wide coalition of supporters from the Upper East Side to Brooklyn, Assemblymember Peter Abadi, and I just picked up an endorsement for Councilman Paul Vallone and in Whitestone and Bayside. Um, you know, it's about building as much of a wide coalition as possible, and obviously I have my base in my Flushing district and the larger immigrant and Asian American community that know the work that I've done for, for our communities, and I have uh, the support of the small business community that have known me for many years now. Um, but it's about crossing over and building alliances. And everything. everyone is, you know, obviously taking the same strategy. But at the end of the day, it's about who can pull the votes um, on Election Day. February 26th, gonna, uh, I'm, I'm assuming it's going to be a cold winter day. And, and, and I believe people who are most engaged and, and the most angry will come out. And right now, uh, people who feel like the, our city, the mayor, has been failing them over and over are the ones that are coming out. And at the top of that list, you know, when you're giving away billions of dollars, when our subways are failing and our schools and, and, our, and our senior centers are depleted of funds, those are the people that are most angry. And, and, and I'm hoping I can pull those votes. And, and perhaps lastly here, uh, the the couple of names, you know, that, that folks are often throwing around as, as front runners, you know, people mentioned City Council Member Jamani Williams, former City Council Speaker Melissa Mark Vivrito, you know, and then there's sort of this discussion. There's yourself, a couple other assembly members, a couple other city council members. I mean, it's a crowded field of folks with government experience and uh, and interesting resumes. It- other than you know your your the vision that you've laid out here for really taking the office in a very different path, is there anything you want to leave you know at least our listeners for now with in terms of what separates you from you know some of the other uh, top names in the field? Yeah, I'm not. I, I, for six years, I, I worked hard, you know, to pass bills. But at the end of the day, um, I just feel like many of us, were, as, as elected officials, we're just legislating around the edges. We're not getting the root causations of why there's so much divisiveness, so much hatred that we're seeing every single day. And people are often, and my colleagues, including in the Democratic Party, we're very good on social justice issues. But I'm a firm believer that there 
is no social justice without economic justice. Um, I have a, a firm plan to tackle the root causations of economic injustice. Um, and I think it's going to resonate with the voters, and I'm hoping to win this election with my platform. Well, Assemblyman Ron Kim uh, running for public advocate in the special election on February 26th. Thank you so much for joining us. All right. Thank you. Thank you for your time. And we'll be right back. And we're back on Max and Murphy here on WBAI, listener-sponsored non-commercial radio coming to you from Brooklyn. We just heard from Ron Kim, one of the many people seeking the office of public advocate in the special election on Tuesday, February 26th. He's an assemblyman from uh, Queens uh, discussing his background and what he thinks would be his approach to that very interesting job, a job that really does take the stamp of the office holder as much or more than any other post uh, in the city or state. His focus on economic issues or something he emphasized there at the end and speaking about Amazon, his concerns about that deal and some of its manifestations and talking about a very aggressive plan, potentially aggressive plan to cure the student debt problem, uh, asking Washington to forgive it, asking Washington to turn it over to cities and states to administer. And if that doesn't happen, using eminent domain to essentially control the debt and then forgive it on its own. That is a certainly a, a interesting and unique idea uh, in in so far in the race. Yeah, you, you can't fault uh, Assemblymember Kim for not having sort of an original idea and platform for the public advocate's office. You know, I, I, I was pretty surprised to hear him say, that he would basically eschew those other responsibilities of the office, including things that are charter mandated. You know, I laid that question out there to him about those charter mandated uh, responsibilities and he said, yeah, I'm pretty much looking to take the office in a in a different direction. So he's not being shy about that. And, uh, you know, I think that's a somewhat questionable uh, approach to it, given that you have to buy the city charter, fulfill those Ombudsperson responsibility. True, it, it does give him a chance to distinguish himself <laughs> from other candidates, including a lot of um, uh, other elected officials who are running. 